Welcome to Startup Stories, where we go behind the scenes of some of the most interesting and innovative tech startups in the world. Each episode will bring you in-depth interviews with entrepreneurs and business leaders, sharing their personal stories on success, failure, and everything in between. So whether you're an entrepreneur yourself or someone that's just generally interested in the world of startups, then Startup Stories is the perfect place for you to gain insight and inspiration into some of the most exciting players in the game. So sit back, relax, and join us on a journey of Startup Stories. Danielle, welcome to Startup Stories podcast. How are you doing? Good morning. Hi, Jordan. Thanks for having me. I'm well. I'm excited to chat. Good. My pleasure. All right. So for those that don't know who you are, could you give me a brief introduction, please? Sure. My name is Danielle Wall-Elliott. I am the COO at Names, a startup in the insure tech and digital asset space. My background, mostly in the digital asset crypto space. So right out of college, I was a little disenfranchised with like what I had gone to school for. And so crypto became a great reprieve for me, kind of a opportunity, a, a what, what if. And so I started working for a company called Shapeshift, which I'm sure we'll get a little more into. Um, and I worked there for six years and then joined Names about a year and a half ago. And yeah, we are building digital asset insurance marketplace. So we're trying to take on, you know, the likes of Lloyd's of London, not a bad opposition, not a bad competitor to to help us achieve, you know, and, and shoot for the stars there. We're trying to match the supply and demand side. And so the demand side and in insurance is, you know, they need capacity. And then the supply side being that crypto assets and, you know, trying to help them uh, get into this new asset class and, and find yeah, a diversified additional opportunity in insurance. So it's it's an interesting place to be. One foot in kind of this like centralized traditional world and one foot in this decentralized kind of new what if world. Absolutely. And we'd love to, uh, you know, it's good to see where you are now, but I'd love to run it back and really <laughs> see where it all began. So for me to understand you the best I can, give me an idea of your earliest memory from when you grew up. Oh, Wow. This is more like a, a therapy session. Let's see how far back. You know, I earliest memories, I remember a lot of just like playing with my siblings. My siblings were 10 and 12 years older than me. And I just always remember like wanting to be older, wanting to be in their crew, like wanting to hang out with them, listen to their music and yeah, hang out with the older kids. But and they did a good job of letting me. But it was also like, OK, you're you're like our kid sister, you know, chill out. <laughs> You're in Colorado now, is that right? Yeah, yeah. I grew up in North Carolina, though, so more on the East Coast in the U.S. Right, okay. So in terms of what it was like for you growing up, what was that like? Well, well, one other thing I just remembered, I, I remember my siblings teaching me how to read, so I just remember learning from them so much. That was another thing that just popped in my head. But yeah, growing up in North Carolina, it's a, or where I grew up, is a very like rural community you know, middle class or lower. I remember, you know, when I was in middle school, a lot of my friends' families, their parents lost jobs because it was very much in like furniture manufacturing and just like very old school, maybe even like backwoods, you would even say, like some redneck elements there. So it was like, I just remember feeling like limited in my choices. Like a lot of people just grew up there and stayed there forever or they, you know, had teenage pregnancies or just the opportunities just didn't feel as like robust as I would have hoped there. So it was definitely on my mind to like, okay, I should probably 
try to leave and move somewhere else. Now that I go back as an adult, it doesn't feel like that. It doesn't feel, it feels like more homey. It feels like people made that choice to really stay there, to live there, to, they, they enjoy, they love that farm life. They love living in the same land that their grandparents lived in. But as a kid, it just felt very like limiting to me. And you talked about how you had the idea of not doing that. So what was it, what pivotal moment was it that allowed you or made you think, you know, what well, I don't want to do that? I think maybe just the opportunity to travel. So I had joined this service organization. It was called Junior Civitan. And they, one, they really focused on making your community and your area around you better. And then they had a few like international initiatives that people worked on. And so one of those was a, you know, was a, a fundraiser for children with developmental disabilities. And the opportunity for the young people was, you know, if you raised a certain amount of money, you could go on this snowmobile trip. And so I was 14 and I was raising money from different Civitan clubs, the adult version of the club, businesses in my area. And I, I remember raising about $47,000 for you know, this opportunity. And I think that being able to travel. So I traveled, I stayed with a host family, you know, they took me all around. They kind of just gave me this like different perspective. And then Junior Civitan would do that for me many times in my teenage years, introduce me to people that went to the college that I eventually went to. And I would have never, I would have never even heard of it without that. So I think it's just like this diversity in your thoughts and your inputs and the people that you spend time with. I think that's what really clicked for me of like, okay, there's a giant world out there. Like, let's go try to, you know, achieve something out there. Where did that curiosity come from, though? Because not everyone has that. Yeah, no, I know. Well, and I seeing people, like I said, like as an adult, you can kind of reflect back and you can see that like, yes, yeah, some people that's just they actually thrive in just staying in a, the same place where it really it gives them great comfort to stay in that same place. For me, what gives me comfort is like challenging myself, like learning more meeting new people, understanding different cultures. I think, you know, and, and now I work at Names, it's fully global, remote. We have uh, 18 people in 11 different countries. And so now I just, it feels so amazing to be able to like connect with the world. I think that's why crypto interests me too. It's like, I want to, yeah, this is going to sound like the cheesiest part, but I, I want to be able to like make a change like throughout the world or like do something to contribute to a lot of people's you know, success or maybe influence their lives in a positive way. So yeah, I don't know. It's just something inside of me, I guess. Mm -hmm. What was your first job? My first job, I mean, outside of like the typical, you know, babysitting my nieces or yeah, doing some of those like volunteer things. I worked at this really small local restaurant. It was called Chef Santos. And I feel like it's like a rite of passage to work there. Like so many people work there, you know, just in their teenage years. And it's a staple in our community. You know, it's like the nice, fancy place in this like very rural uh, community. And that was also a little bit of like, well, I had been I had been eating there my whole life, like growing up. Like that was like the celebratory mm. place to go. And I remember being there one day and he's like, you work tomorrow. And I'm like, no, I don't work here. He's like, no, like, I need you. Like, please come in. And um, so I was 14 when I started working there. And I think just this idea of community, you know, even 
grew so much deeper with me. Like people would come there every Tuesday, every Sunday. Like they had a table reserved, you know, it was like this was part of their routine and their lifestyle. I mean, working in the restaurant industry, you learn a lot about like people and maybe even like trying to anticipate their needs. You kind of learn that like there's this like cozy, bright-eyed, like outside front of the house thing where it's like that's where you're interacting with the guest. But then you're in the kitchen and it's like hot and you know, way more intense and there's a lot going on and just the diverse type of people that you're working with. So it's a really unique place working in a restaurant. I think everyone should do it. You have a lot more respect for restaurant staff after you do for sure. Yeah, I totally agree with you. And I know what you mean by the contrast of what you can see, what it's like in the restaurant, but in the kitchen, it's just chaos. Right. Right. And you, you say you learned a lot about people. Do you think that early, that first proper job as you say taught you a lot about people in even in today's in, in your work today for sure i mean so chef santos he he cares about the people that work for him and he would give opportunities to others that maybe wouldn't have an opportunity to get a job somewhere else so you know maybe giving that person who has a criminal history an opportunity to wash dishes maybe giving someone that's like a real loner who can't talk to people giving them an opportunity in the back again like something in like dishes or helping him someone that wants to learn how to cook like just he just would care about the person, not just be like, okay, you're a resource or you're a tool to help me achieve my goals. I think that really stuck with me because it is all about the people, you know, the, the people that you work with, you you do have to care about them and, and care about what, like, what are their goals? What motivates them? Because if you can align incentives, well, then you can, that's how you build a team and that's how you can work together. And so I think, yeah, I'm trying to think if I can even remember, like, I have so many people floating in my head while trying to say this, but it's just about, yeah, caring about people. And then if you if you look at the other side, the customer, like you have those people, okay, that person that comes in every Tuesday, well, you know what wine they like, like, can you anticipate that? Can you care about them? Just that little bit more to where then they start to care about you. And I would get opportunities from those people, like they would help me in my future career, or they would even, I go, I go back and we eat there with my family and I'll see people who have been eating there, you know, since I've been gone. And they're like, oh, Danielle, we miss you. You know, it's just, it's really nice to have that small town feel, that community vibe and to feel support from, from the people that you work with. Yeah, I'm getting there the importance of relationships and yeah. uh, the difference between a boss and a leader. It sounds yeah. like the guy you worked for was uh, a, a more of a leader. Like, as yeah. you said, knew what people wanted, what motivated them, rather than just being t- using them for their resources, right? Totally. Yeah, and I feel like that's uh, v- very important, even in the bigger business. I mean, it, it's applicable in any size of business. You know, in names, for example, that would be obviously really important to make sure that the team in, in the, the tech people or whatever employee you have is treated the exact same way. So, yeah, yeah, completely agree with you there. Okay. All right. So talk to me about your career path that led to names. Yeah, well, I... As a young child, I always wanted to be in politics. I wanted to be the president of the United States. I just like, there was that kind of element that drove me to want to help people, I think. And so that was kind of the area where I leaned in. There was a U.S. senator from my hometown, and I think that stuck with me. Like, oh, okay, like, you know, she's from a small town. She made it to that level. And so, you know, I studied political science. I would volunteer on different campaigns and just learned, you know, that industry. And then 
yeah, once I got out of college, just wasn't quite right. Like I had interned in DC, I had done a few things and it wasn't exactly what I thought it would be. That's a little bit of like, you're too young to like make that decision and like really understand everything. Then you get in the real world and you're like, oh, okay. And so I kind of gravitated more towards like libertarianism and just something that I just wanted something that's like a little outside of that like box in thinking. And so that in 2014, I discovered crypto from going to this meetup and that really opened my eyes of like, oh, okay, like we could actually make change. We could tap into this global world and this global economy without needing, say, like the government to force change or create laws, which felt like a very like slow and clunky process. And so, yeah, that was just an, an interesting dive into what could be and what, what the possibilities were. And then in 2016, I got a job at Shapeshift and that was a digital asset exchange. I was the 12th employee there, um, very startup vibes, trying to teach, like you're trying to teach people something new you know, some of your customers understand it and know how it works, but it's very much an educational based thing. When I started, Ethereum didn't even exist. And so it was like, trade your Bitcoin for pure coin and Litecoin and dark coin. And, you know, we called it like a, uh, a vending machine. So you like put your Bitcoin in, you know, get this other one out. You didn't need KYC. You didn't need an account. It was supposed to be very quick and easy in this like new world of crypto that that was very maybe hard to understand at first. And then that team just continued to grow and grow and grow. And it was amazing. Like we saw, gosh, I think it went up to about 150 people while I was there. And so that you, like the company changes, it goes through so many, not only are you dealing with like the market cycles of crypto and these bear and bull markets. Um, so you've got those ups and downs, but just growing a company and, and the way that people interact with each other once you start building more hierarchies and once you start having like larger teams and, you know, once you start having um, support tickets of like 40,000 support tickets in the queue and it's like, okay, all hands on deck. It's like, doesn't matter what your job is, like we have to get through this. So I think that, you know, learning how to wear multiple hats there really helped me to be able to do what I do now. You know, I've always been very like organized and very like creative thinker, strategic thinker. Like I can see a problem and, and I know how I want to solve it. And so that gave me the opportunity with lots of problems to really hone in on that problem solving skill. And then eventually, you know, I worked my way up. It was a good opportunity to like start in such a small business and find many different roles that fit. Um, and so I was the director of operations by the end of it. And, you know, I got to shadow the COO there and learn so much from him. And so when Shapeshift decided to decentralize and become a DAO, which is a, you know, organization controlled by its token holders rather than, you know, a regular traditional company that's, you know, controlled by its shareholders, that was this great opportunity for me to be like, okay, now I've like done my, I'm a caterpillar in the chrysalis and now I'm coming out as a butterfly. And, you know, and that's when I found my opportunity with names and to become the COO. And so that's what I had wanted to be. And I was really like driving and pushing towards that. So six years, basically another schooling with Shapeshift at this a startup school, if you will. And then now being able to come and apply that to another business has been really powerful. It's, it's super cool because the problems aren't, aren't necessarily new. It's similar problems, a lot of people problems. A lot of times it is dealing with people and making sure you understand, you know, how to, yeah, align incentives. That's, that's what it all comes down to, really.
How much of your experience at Shapeshift prepared you for what you now do at Names? All of it, <laughs> like wholeheartedly all of it. Um, like I said, just like learning about how you interact with people, how even just something as simple as how you let someone go, I think is so powerful. And we've had to do that at Names and there's people on our team that had never experienced that before. And so it was like a, another lesson for them. It was like a teaching moment, I think promoting people another thing like people had never done and it's like oh like this is awesome like let's celebrate these wins when we can you know and then I, there's more you know technical items like launching a token that was a, a great opportunity for me to understand you know what do exchanges want to see what do the people that buy your token like what do they want to see what does that community look like and so now we'll be launching a token with names and it's it's great experience that i have it before but it changes so quickly that like even still in that crypto space like you can feel like oh i did this before it's like no you have to stay on the pulse of everything like you have to be up to date with what's going on i'm trying to think if there's any other one like item oh dealing with scams that's a huge huge learning opportunity that i had at shapeshift like interesting so it'd be something as simple as like Someone would just like change, you know, one letter in an email and like make it seem like it was coming from your boss and be like, send me one Bitcoin now to way more sophisticated scams. And so one I remember was it was just like the wallet I was using had a pop up inside of it. It was like, oh, it's time to update your wallet. And so I'm like, okay, of course, like it's coming from the app. Like I tried to be so security minded. So I'm like, all right, let's do it. And then that download of that new wallet was a nefarious download. And as soon as I sent the next Bitcoin transaction, everything that was in my wallet before had been gone. And, you know, as soon as it happened, you're like, oh, I know exactly what happened, but stuff like that. Like you need to experience it to be able to become more mature, to be able to teach others Absolutely. what to do in, in those scenarios. And so it's been something that's been, you know, helpful, obviously at names, scams become more creative. You know, people try to try to hit you up on Telegram or or wherever. So it's, it's, that's a really good one that I was able to learn, you know, from my time at Shapeshift and, and now knowing it's because crypto is so finite. Once you make that send, there's no support number to call and be like, uh oh, yeah. I accidentally sent this somewhere else, you know. So it, it, it's so important to be fully responsible for your money. And that's one of the benefits of crypto. But it's also this other kind of it's the double edged sword for sure. Yeah, so fascinating. A completely different world for many, like you said. Okay, so tell me about the moment that the Names Opportunity presented itself. Because I know they were founded, you know, a couple of years before you joined. What was the need for yourself and how did the opportunity present itself? Yeah, it was so good because the team that was there before I joined, they did so much of the legwork of building the foundation, like going through multiple iterations of what the business would be or how it would actually function. So, you know, you are modeling it after something traditional, but then taking it and putting it on chain, you know, and doing all that work to really understand how all the players in a marketplace would work or, or how they would like coordinate themselves and how it would work on chain. And then they did so much foundational work with the Bermuda Monetary Authority, which is where we're, we're regulated out of Bermuda. So we have an insurance license and a digital asset license there. And so all this groundwork was laid. So it was really a great opportunity for someone like me to then come in and give them 
more of like the bones to make sure that they could achieve what they needed to, to create teams that were more scalable, to put in processes. I remember the first like Monday morning meeting that I attended when I joined and it felt like chaos to me because I'm just such an organized person and I just like format and I like everything to happen the same way. And so it's just like these kind of like chaotic conversations happening. And I remember being like, hey, I want to is it cool if I start leading this meeting? And so it's like, okay, simple. There's a spreadsheet. Everybody put in their, you know, updates. We go through it. We stay on time, you know, all the things. And so, you know, that that's pretty simple. But I think that a business, you know, you can do all that. You can lay all that groundwork. But then when it's time to actually like execute, like you do need processes, you know, you need someone to come in and care about like, do all the employees have the right employee contracts? Does everybody, you know, have um, what they need to succeed? You know, what's our, of course they had like a budget and a forecast and everything, but I just think everything just kind of like honed it in and refined it a bit and helped us have that like very clear schedule of the week setting goals is a huge one that I brought to the table, setting like small goals and the big goals. So yeah, that's that's definitely my job is to create process, stay on budget, stay on track with our roadmap. And then the people element is a huge part of my job as well. What would you say has been the most challenging part of your journey so far? I mean, you've been in there, what, year and a half now, is that right? Year and a half, yeah. yeah. Maybe it's the people element, just because every day you could wake up with someone and, you know, someone who's a great performer on your staff and and now they have a family emergency at home that they need to deal with for three months, six months. Like it could really take them out of like where they were. You could have, I mean, it's, it's simple stuff. Like it's, but kind of, if we take it back to like that first job, it's like caring about people knowing, you know, I love to know my team members. Like I love to know their kids' names and their spouses' names. And it, it just helps me understand them better. And so like when we, we get in person, we have those in-person opportunities it's so nice to like actually meet them as human beings rather than, you know, since we are remote, like Slack and Zoom, it's very transactional. So like understanding that, understanding where people are coming from. And then I guess just surviving in terms of financially. So, you know, we did just launch in May. And so now we're revenue generating, which is an amazing hurdle for any startup to get to. But I think that you kind of always have your eye on this runway and you're always trying to think, 12, 18, 24 months ahead, you're trying to think of like, okay, yes, we've got 18 months runway, but in six months when I need to start raising money, is 12 months going to be enough runway? Like having that clock always ticking down on how much money you have, I think is just this added stressor, especially being a leader in a startup. And you want people to understand it. You want people to take it seriously. We, like, we've talked about um, how much meetings cost to the company and like actually put the dollar figures on it. You know, how much did it cost to actually build our smart contracts and build our platform until we got to launch? And would we have been satisfied if an outside source came in and said, I'll charge you, you know, X dollars to build this thing? Would we have been like, ooh, that's kind of pricey? Yes, probably. It's harder. It's definitely harder to do it, you know, in-house. But no, I think, yeah, biggest challenge is people, understanding people, and then you know, money and just making sure that you keep an eye on it. You're building in the right way to eventually get to that profitability mark, which like we're not at yet, but hopefully we will be soon. Mm -hmm. And of course, names being a startup, what would you say is the key ingredient to building a successful startup? Because once you're, you know, a big corporate company, it's a Mm -hmm. lot more established. It can be a little bit more seamless in the approach. How do you 
ensure success with a startup? I think um, leaning into the fact that you you can be more innovative, you can take a risk, like that's the whole point. That's what investors want to see. They don't want to see you just doing some classic standard you know, recreation of another business that already exists. I think that they want to know why now they want to know like what's in five years, what's that opportunity look like for them. So I think you need to have a little element of like risk taking and innovation. That's what's really going to get you to that next level, or at least that's how I see it. You know, and at, at Shapeshift, there was risk taking, there was building something new that hadn't exist. And then regulators did come down and it had to change the business model and it kind of, you know, it, it took a turn for the worse. And so, you know, sometimes those risks don't exactly pay off. They do in a way that you build a community and you, you're you setting these standards for self-custodianship or something like that. Like you're really trying to create a new lane in, in an industry. Um, and so that all, you know, was really successful from Shapeshift. And then for names, you know, taking on an incumbent like, the, you know, the insurance industry, a 300 plus year old industry to come in and say, hey, I actually think we can change it, make it more efficient, make it more seamless, make it more transparent. I think that that is the opportunity that you have as a, a startup to like make change or, or have innovation. What would you say has been the biggest change since when you first joined Names to now? I guess maybe the somewhat like the business model. Like we thought at first we would tokenize the policies, the individual insurance policies. And now we're tokenizing the capital for an insurance for like an entire insurance program. And so that just, again, comes with this um, trial and error. And I, I didn't have a ton of, you know, input in that. Those like transitioning as I started. But I remember, you know, learning about the business and then, you know, a few weeks in, a few months in being like, oh, okay, we're going to shift and, and change this. So I think like being um, open to change and being open to like feedback from your community feedback, you know, it's not like we even had users then, but we had these relationships that we were building for years and years. And so you go out and you talk to them and you say, oh yeah, this worked. Being crypto native, that's amazing. Like I can insure my Bitcoin in Bitcoin. Well, that's great because it's a asset that changes in value. So like that never changed. But then to be able to get that feedback of like, okay, tokenizing the individual policies, maybe that's not right. And moving on to a different idea there. And then I hope, I hope everyone else would say more process, you know, more better goal setting, knowing exactly what we're doing for the next six months and, and knowing about what we're doing for the next 12 months. Yeah. What's been the highlight for you so far? I probably just like meeting everyone in person and building my own confidence and brand in that way. And so I got to go to these crypto events. We'll go to uh, insurance events. And there's this event, ETH Denver so, you know, it was very nice to be able to invite a lot of my team members, you know, to this place where I live, where I feel very confident and comfortable. And so we went to the conference and then we went up to the mountains for a few days afterwards and we went skiing. And I remember a coworker saying, like, I can't believe I have a company that like would pay for me to do this. And it's like, yes, like that is exactly like the culture and the team I want to build. We want it to be fun. We want it to support their lives. But like, obviously, we want to accomplish our goals. So, yeah, I think that one because it was work and play. It was very much like, you know, I got to give a talk at the conference and my team was all there supporting me. And then, you know, after we would do these more like workshop sessions for a few hours during the day when we were up in the mountains and a lot of great came out of that. But then we learned how to lasso 
like who gets to do that, you know, or, or we did archery or, you know, the skiing. And so it's really fun to be able to balance both. I think if you're all work and no play, you know, it's not going to, you're not really going to build that deep long-term connection that you need with employees for them to stay to actually achieve the goals. Yeah, I think I 100% agree with you there. I was taught a long time ago by a manager that that uh, relationships are built outside of the workplace as much as you can connect with people and stuff like that but it's outside of the workplace where you really get to actually know someone so the yeah. fact you can have that work and play and as you say that huge benefit to have you know a skiing trip covered is fantastic really interesting okay so what are the long-term goals and ambitions for names then how far do names plan to take it I mean, as far as we can go, I think, um, like I said, so we're, we're trying to connect this demand and, and supply side of an insurance market. We want to target, obviously, like digital asset lines of business. So something like a smart contract hack or something like a custodian hack, like an exchange hack, or there's a lot of opportunities. We talked about the scams earlier. There's a lot of opportunities for people to lose money. So being able to provide this platform where you know, new lines of business, they're hard to get off the ground. People say, oh, well, in crypto, there's not enough data out there for the pricing. So for us to be able to maybe facilitate some of that growth is a huge goal for us. So in the digital asset space specifically, you know, we do have a goal to help influence, you know, the mass adoption of crypto to help mature this industry. And so I think that's great. That's just more, you know, what do you want to give to the ecosystem that you're participating in? But where we see like really the future going is not just, you know, helping match capital and capacity for those digital asset insurance programs, but really to open up the traditional space and, you know, allow them to come in and, and run an insurance program and, and find access to this alternative source of capital that is crypto. Maybe just by that, they can start learning about it more, understanding, you know, how to hold a token or, or what a wallet is and really seeing, yeah, that traditional space like accept or adopt crypto as a regular line of business. Like, you know, I say traditional, I say real world a lot. And it's like, eventually, I won't need to distinguish between the two. Um, you know, we will just be this integrated, you know, piece of, of the insurance world. And so, yeah, I think, you know, obviously, we're looking to grow our business in a way that we can reward our early team members and we can reward our early investors and people that, you know, saw this opportunity and, and believed in us. I think everyone thinks about what the exit could look like or, you know, where, where that could be. And, and that's something that another thing that can help you to, to drive you. But if that's like your only goal, it's probably not right either. So I think, you know, for us to be able to kind of have these two industries and think like, what, what impact do we want to have on those industries? And that's like, the mass adoption of crypto and and just making insurance more accessible. And I don't mean that as like more people can get policies. I think that's, you know, fine. But I just mean insurance as an asset class, like making that more accessible to a more everyday investor and making helping people to diversify their portfolios and have have things in there that are uncorrelated to the rest of the market. And what I mean by that is, you know, if you're uh, an investor in an insurance program that's in the catastrophe world, well, that wildfire doesn't care what the price of the stock market is or, or what the price of Bitcoin is. So it really does allow people to have like this more diversified uh, asset in their portfolio. So I think, yeah, we're just we have some goals, some financial goals. We have some goals for our team. Um, we have some goals for our industry. And then, yeah, everybody wants to be highly valued and sought after. So that that's obviously the, the end goal for us, too. And what motivates you? What's your why? 
I mean, I bet you could guess it just after listening to this, but, you know, <laughs> people, you know, really like what, what does crypto provide to the world is the opportunity for individuals to connect and to, yeah, set their own goals, standards, you know, ways to communicate outside of institutions, governments, banks. I think for so long in the history of humans, we really had to rely on behemoths of power, religion, the state, you know, whatever it is. And I think that what I would like to see in the interaction of humans throughout my lifetime is more community building, more peer-to-peer goal setting, taking away that like middleman, whether it is your bank that charges you 25% for your credit card and then only gives you 0.25% for your savings account. Like, you know, let's cut out those middlemen that are taking a little too much. Like, I think like, you know, like you, people can, can have a overlord or people can, can adopt a, a system, but until it's too much, until they really start to devalue your currency, until they start to take away your rights, you're like, okay, I can live with this. I can live with this. I can live with this. Then there's a certain point. You're like, I oh, know, I don't want to stand for that anymore. And so I think, you know, why I want to contribute to crypto, why I get out of bed every more, every you know day is like, I want us to have this like conscious leadership, conscious communication with each other where we can connect directly with our peers. We can give out these micro loans. We can even communicate in such a way we can build these small communities that operate outside of this, like the box, you know? So that's it. It's just like, I see a more global free world where we all communicate together. Yeah, no, I actually really like that answer. I mean, I, I do agree with you. I mean, like you say, for so long, the banks, the government have controlled everything for so long and they still do to this day and finally we're seeing a shift with this decentralized platforms and crypto and all that sort of stuff Uh, and we're seeing in other realms now as well so I completely agree with you and it's very interesting to watch from afar as well you know obviously not being in the game like yourself so it's a very interesting great answer okay and you know who my you know who's most open-minded to it are you know my nieces and nephews the young people in my life And, you know, they are already so digital. They have phones so early. They connect with people all over the world through their apps like TikTok or whatever it is. And so, you know, I I have great faith that the young people are going to kind of see these two options. Like, let's call it even like centralized and decentralized. And I think they're going to choose that decentralized option for sure. Yeah, I think so. Because we want more control over what we, we have, right? Yeah. So, yeah, agree with everything you just said there. So um, last question then. If, let's just say, you know, in your position, you've, uh, well, you joined a startup with Shapeshifts, you've joined the startup with names. Let's just say, you know, as I say, from your perspective, someone is coming from a small town like yourself, uh, not really gone outside of that before, but they, they're on the fence to ch- take a challenge on, take that risk and try something new. What advice would you give them? I would say there's a great opportunity, but with great opportunities, great power comes great responsibility. So I think um, it's not just about going out there and there's a lot of like, even in crypto, right? There's a lot of like scams or people that maybe just like go and take money and, and maybe don't have this like full idea of what they want or they don't, you know, maybe haven't like thought it through all the way. And so I would just say like, you know, really make sure, you know, you know who you are, you know what you want to achieve and then try to do the 
best for the most people around you. And I think that's it. It's like, we're all self-interested and that's okay. But I think you have to take on more than just yourself, your community, whether that's your family, people that work for you or the industry that you're in. And so, you know, be considerate and be really conscious of, of what you're trying to put out into the world um, and make sure that yeah, you're taking care of your, your people and yourself. Yeah, absolutely. And, uh, you know, look at you, for example, when you joined Shapeshift, you mentioned in the beginning of the podcast that uh, it was almost like being back at school again, the amount you learned during that period. And for someone to do the same thing, the amount they would learn by stepping out of their comfort zone that they would never have learned, perhaps just staying in the same place. So I yeah, think that could so be applied there. For sure. All right. Well, Danielle, thank you so much for joining me on the Start oh, Story thank podcast. thank you, Jordan absolute pleasure this is awesome thank you thank you likewise i'll, I'll keep following uh, names from afar this looks like a really cool business crypto within insurance thank you very much yeah well you can find us at uh, names.com if you want to know more absolutely thank you thanks thanks for listening to this episode of startup stories i hope you enjoyed hearing from our guests and learning more about their journey in the startup world I'll be back soon with another exciting episode featuring a new guest. So make sure to subscribe to Startup Stories so you never miss an episode. Also, don't forget to follow me on social media for updates and additional content. And if you have any suggestions for guests or topics you'd like to hear about, please reach out to me. And as always, I appreciate your support and feedback. Thanks for listening and I'll see you next time.